The first time is Chirp Radio's live lit and music series, recorded at Martyrs in North Center. The theme this round was first choice. We have Kate Brecht. (laughs) Storyteller, podcaster, part of the intersectional feminist podcast called Babes Watch Buffy. Where they talk about... Check out our podcast. Guys, give a big round of applause to Kate Breck. First choice. When have I ever gone with a first choice? So if I wasn't going to go with my first choice, what about an instance when I didn't go with my first choice or didn't have my first choice? Not by a long fucking shot. But you take what you could get sometimes. That's why when I first moved up here, fresh-faced after graduating a bit late at 24, I eventually was just grateful to get a job offer. Why did I move to Chicago without a job in the first place? One may ask that. Um, I wanted out of Florida. So much I was willing to use up my savings I had from a car accident to get out. I hated the humidity. I did not like the snowbirds who overtook my town. I felt suffocated and stifled. I wanted to say with art, stories to tell, I landed out in Chicago. One, it's relatively affordable for a big city, so I didn't have to necessarily live with strangers. Two, amazing and accessible seeming theater and spoken word scene. Three, the Midwest seemed to have some charm to me. Blame too many viewings on Fargo. Also, I like weird murders. They all took place in the weird Midwest, so. By the way, I do feel a certain defensiveness over Florida at this point. There is an awesome hidden beauty there, like Chance the Snappers. It's okay, don't worry. (laughs) And people like Frank Robb that can catch those majestic creatures. So don't go shitting on Florida to me. I can do that, but if you're not from there, you cannot. (laughs) Okay, so back to me being unemployed in my new home of Chicago. So it seemed like my best offer after three months of unemployment would be being a host at some famous tourist trap restaurant based on an overrated, badly aged Tom Hanks movie. (laughs) So I put on that very ill-fitting and hideously offensive yellow shirt that said, my mama always said I was special, and I dove in. Also, mama, if I'm so fucking special, why is this the job I have, huh? Okay. I'll refrain from saying the not obvious name of the restaurant for now so your girl doesn't get sued because if this hasn't been established, I have no money. (laughs) If you've ever worked for a corporate restaurant before, you know the deep weirdness that's from the well of corporate kitsch. When I came in for my training, I got handed what could account for a national park in papers. This is the usual protocol when you get hired at some long-standing chain. I've been here before with Nordstrom, Starbucks, Ulta. They assume you know basically nothing. Starting at square zero, just above how to articulate some words, they get to mold you into Bubba's perfect image. In training, they go over the extensive list of do's and don'ts, mostly don'ts, of being a Bubba employee. I know, I said I won't refer to this company by name, but screw it. Come at me, mythical forest that lives in the sky and watches over us all. We go over the colorful uniform. I love the irony of these chain restaurants where you have to wear a specific and usually god-ugly outfit. But God forbid you have unnatural hair or visible tattoos. Also, we are wearing quippy phrases from Forrest Gump like, Life is like a box of chocolates. 
Go ahead, finish the thing. No? Thank you, you did it. And Or stupid is as stupid does. Or my personal favorite for a person serving you food to be wearing, I gotta pee. He says that in the movie. You probably don't remember that he says that in the movie, because why would you? But they did, because they decided to make a shirt out of it. <laughs> Want to know what the recipe for the ideal Bubba Gum Post is, according to our extensive training manual? One gallon personality, one pair non-slip shoes, pinch of table numbers, ten top tens, five tablespoons conceptual musts, and one cup perfect uniform. Or my recipe that I think is a little more fitting, one gallon desperation, less than $100 in my bank account, pinch of ability to degrade self, 10 pieces of no fucks attitude, five tablespoons of smiling through pain, and 40 cups of alcohol I will be drinking later. I am told to read these exhausting papers carefully because there will be quizzes after each chapter, and you need to pass each quiz, and then at the end there will be a final exam. And you need to score 90% or better on that because a B-plus is just unacceptable at Bubba's. <laughs> I had to quiz the guests also on Forrest Gum trivia while the movie would be playing from at least 10 screens at all times. I don't know how you remember this movie, but it's kind of one you, sh you could leave in the past. Um, regardless, buy me a shot after this of JMO and we'll gladly do trivia with you. I brought it. <laughs> when someone said life is like a box of chocolates, I often had to refrain from the impulse to quote the cigarette man from the X-Files because I was watching that at the time. So I would envision myself instead saying life is like a box of chocolates a cheap, thoughtless, perfunctory gift that nobody ever asked for. Unreturnable, because all you get back is another box of chocolates. So you're stuck with this undefinable whipped mint crap that you mindlessly woof down when there's nothing else left to eat. Sure, once in a while there's a peanut butter cup or an English toffee, but they're gone too fast, and the taste is fleeting. I felt so sure that would establish the mood we were going for. <laughs> there were some great characters at Bubba's besides the Forrest Gump impersonator who took his job a little too seriously for comfort. Um, a fellow host, Larry, had a bit of a crush on, I can admit that now. He left a massive amount in weed um, in a Bubba apron once. I was in the office when they found the apron and they thought it was Larry. So I tipped him off a little beforehand and we all were able to pretend, no, we have no clue whose massive amount of weed that is. How could they? I don't know what they would be thinking. They had no proof, just big suspicion, so they couldn't do anything about it. There was Lindsay, who just embodied this easy cool to me. We were making some small talk, and I discovered she was married, and I asked about her husband. She kindly corrected me by answering the question by saying, my wife, and I was temporarily mortified. Damn you, ingrained heteronormative ideas on romance. You're so hard to expel. Probably why it took so long for me to realize I'm gay. <laughs> <laughs> then there was my ride or die, Cece. She advised me on how to get the job before my interview, so she was my favorite. She managed the shop leading into the restaurant because you can't leave Bubba's without some tacky-ass gear to show everyone you've been to one of the 45 locations in the world. 
The host stand was right by the shop, so I'd spend moments killing time with her. Her humor helped me to make this moment a little more bearable. There were some weird politics to the Bubba's world. I pissed off a waitress once inadvertently by seating someone out of her section, and Lindsay came up to me and whispered in my ear, if there's one thing you need to know about Bubba's, it's that bitches ain't shit. That should be their slogan. (laughs) I eventually quit Bubba's. I try desperately to keep in touch with the people I met there. I find the saddest part about leaving a job is really leaving the friends you made and knowing your friendships will not be what they were when you saw them throughout the week. So I left with some friends and some smarts about Chicago and the knowledge that there really is no reason to go Navy Pier. Instead of, (laughs) if you're going to the Chicago Shakespeare Theater, that's it, basically. To be perfectly honest, I still haven't figured out what I'm supposed to do with myself in order to secure a profit. A frequent dilemma, I imagine, for the English major and theater minors of the world. I like writing, sure. I dream of making a livable income off of it at some point. But I'm no Forrest Gump. I don't see a weird trajectory of events leading me to my dream. So for now, basically make my live, hope to do something I care about eventually. Try not to obsess over how much more together I thought my life would be at this point. Life is like a box of fucking chocolates. Often you don't get your first choice, but you try and make it work, and if you're lucky, you find something delicious in that box. For me, that hint surprise in the box was making some friends and getting some good stories to tell. Thank you. the kitchen, pour myself a cup of ambition and yawn and stretch, try to come to life. Jump in the shower and the blood starts pumping out on the street. Traffic cops jumping with folks like me on the job from nine to five. Working nine to five, what a way to make a living, really getting by. It's all taken and no giving, they just use your mind and they and devotion you would think that I would deserve a better promotion wanna move ahead but the boss won't seem to let me Shatter, you just a step on the false man's ladder, but you got dreams never take away. In the same boat with a lot of your friends, waiting for the day the ship will come in, the tides will turn, it's all gonna roll your way. Working nine to five, no way to make a living, well, it's in by, it's all taken and no giving, they just use your mind. want you, there's a better life, and you think about it, don't you, it's 
rich man's game No matter what they call it And you spend your life Putting money in it while You can find this and other Chirp Radio interviews and podcasts at chirpradio.org slash podcasts.